0: Hey, I'm Rick Shonkwai. I'm the senior minister at White Oak Christian Church, and I am glad that you're here today. <laughs> We're in the midst of celebrating the Christmas season, and I love it. I mean, I tell you, I love it. It is worth celebrating. We, uh, we just enjoy here at White Oak remembering what God has done for us, because the Scripture says that He loved the world so much that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that whole story starts because of Christmas. Yeah, 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 God had been preparing the world all the way along, but without Jesus coming, that message does not come through in flesh and blood. And that's the message that we have. We are going to enjoy that. The first Christmas all of heaven celebrated. Every Christmas, we want to make sure that we join with heaven in celebrating. You know, when you read through the Old Testament... There are a number of places there where there are celebrations that are commanded by God, by the people. And every one of them was noisy, it was expensive, it was a celebration, it was a reminder of the work that God had done. So when you come into this Christmas season, we're going to do things that are going to remind us of what God has done. We also have a number of other uh, celebrations that we're involved with. Last night I was at my granddaughter's uh, Nutcracker Experience And that, that was fun to watch a bunch of 18 down to 8-year-old, 5-year-olds dancing around the stage. Um, how many of you plan to go to the Nutcracker this year? You're Cincinnati's, greater Cincinnatians, you know. Okay, watch it on TV, uh, ignore it, you know, all those kinds of things. How many of you got your shopping done? Look around, guys, you see who's got their shopping done. So you, there's no excuse if you don't get anything be aware. All right, all that stuff starts to happen. And we've got Christmas Eve that's coming up. We've got Jingle Jam next Sunday. Please invite folks to them because they are, they are great fun and exciting as we begin to do those kinds of things. You know, when the, when the annual celebrations came around, the Old Testament times, they spent a lot of time preparing for them. And that whole idea of Advent is the sense of coming, that Jesus is coming, but the big part of Advent is waiting for that day. And one of the hardest things that I think all of us do, at least I do, is this whole idea of waiting. And so we want to spend this time celebrating what God is up to. We want to introduce people to this good news, this good news of peace that can be in their lives because of Jesus coming. And It's not just for us, it's for all those around us. And so we want to make that known and we want to do so in great, great lengths. It's going to be loud and it's going to be fun and it's going to be exciting. That's what we do here as a church in this community. And so our big idea today, and you may want to write this on the front of your program, is very simply this, Jesus came to set us free. And you can personalize this because Jesus came to set you free. Now our challenge is we don't quite understand this idea of freedom because we live in America. Let's be aware as we're in the midst of this series, we're calling it Before and After because we want to take a look at what, what it is, the, the difference that Christmas makes in our world. Oftentimes people say, you know, what difference does the church make in our community? And so we go back to this, this very story and this very truth and say, what was different because Jesus came? What was different after Jesus came? And what was the challenge before Jesus came? That's what we're looking at in this series. And I don't know about you, but I love before and after stories. How many of you watch before and after kinds of stories? On You know, the stuff, the exercise shows, the baking shows, the makeover shows, right? And the stuff that has to do with your homes. I got some pictures up here of different makeovers of people that some of them are in our congregation working on their houses and so on and so forth. But that whole idea, you know, the, the, the business shows where the business is barely surviving and then after they've gone through this hour of work which took weeks and months perhaps now it's a thriving business or maybe it's that that house that it's not just paint and carpet and and, and just a few pieces of wallpaper someplace but it's really taking it all the way down and the walls are being moved and everything else let, let me give you let me give you a hint though you don't have to spend the whole hour watching the show, right? Just tune in for the last three minutes. They do all the before and after right then. They celebrate, and out you go. You didn't have to spend that whole three hours. How many of you watch those shows, by the way? I need to see. Okay, I've got a couple other jobs you can do while you're doing that as well. No, just kidding as we go along. But we celebrate, and that's what we're going to do as we prepare for Christmas. We're going to celebrate the before and after. What was, how things were, and then we're celebrating what is, because Jesus came. He changes everything. It changes everything. Our, our title today is From Bondage to Freedom because Jesus takes the people from bondage into freedom. But we have to realize the context of this whole idea of bondage to freedom, what life was like in that first century. You see, if we realize that the Jews were living in a, in a Roman-occupied land, they, they weren't free. Oh yeah, they could, they could go through their religious rituals, but the Romans taxed them. The Romans were in charge of them. Sometimes we celebrate and talk about, you know, because of the peace of Rome, the gospel could go out. But the peace of Rome was one on the back of the people that lived in the countries that were occupied by the Romans. And they occupied with an iron fist. The Jews were not free to just do whatever they wanted to. They had to uh, be subservient to the Romans. That's one of the reasons why when we read in the Easter story about Pilate pronouncing judgment on Jesus, how, how awful that really is. Because the Jews hated the Romans. And they hated the fact that the Romans had power even over their lives, even though they used Pilate to crucify Jesus. And so we're in this situation where, where the, the Hebrews are asking, the Jewish people are asking, God, how much longer? How long do we have to go through this oppression? How long is it going to be like this? Transport yourself back to that first century and and realize that when you leave this place, you would be counted. Go back to that first century and realize that uh, a Roman soldier walks down the street. You better get out of the way because he will run over you. Transport yourself back to this fact that you believe that you have the blessing of God, and yet there is a secular government that has power over your lives we have a hard time connecting with this story because we don't live in that place and not only that but you've been a people of promise and it's been 400 years since you've heard from god the time from the end of the last book of the old testament malachi to the prophecy of jesus in matthew is 400 years 400 years you've tried to be faithful to God. 400 years you have listened to the stories about God's deliverance of his people. 400 years you've heard the promises that he's coming. And the Messiah is coming. 400 years and nothing. Yeah, I know how, how difficult it is for me if God hasn't answered a prayer in, in a year or two years or three years. I continue to pray after 30 some years for a number of people that they would follow Jesus. I prayed for healing for people that the healing hasn't been coming. I prayed for release from some of the challenges. I have a good friend who struggles with schizophrenia and, and Tourette's. And he, and he says, I'm, I'm over 50 years old and I've always had to deal with this. Why? I can't imagine 400 years of not hearing from God. That's what it was in the first century. The people were desperate because they hadn't heard from God in a long time. Yet they kept hope alive. That's one of the things that the celebrations helped them with, was to keep that alive. And one of those celebrations was Passover. We know that story from Easter time, if you've read about Jesus' crucifixion. It's during the time of Passover. But the story of Passover is that they would come together to celebrate the fact that they were released from bondage from the Egyptians many, many years before they kept that alive, the way in which God rescued and delivered them from bondage in Egypt through Moses. And just as God had released them from bondage in Egypt through Moses, God could and would rescue them with a Messiah who was to come. And every year they celebrated Passover, they waited for the Messiah to come. They would celebrate what God had done, but they would anticipate what God would one day do. You see, in that Exodus story, they'd been slave in Egypt for 400 years. Did you hear that? They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Now it's been 400 years since God has said anything to them. You think maybe something's going to happen? 400 years in Egypt, they waited for God to show up and do something, and then Moses comes. And Moses begins to do the miracles and you have the Red Sea and the tin plagues and the manna from heaven and the walls of Jericho later as they begin to go into the promised land. And the story is told, Passovers observed and the celebration takes place. And even as they were released from the bondage of Egypt, they still didn't believe that God would do his work. They go through the Red Sea. God saves them in the midst of that. They're hungry. They get manna and God saves them from that. And then... Then he says, take the promised land. You remember this? Some of you grew up in Sunday school. You sang the song, 12 12 men went to spy on Cain, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good. You remember that? Anybody? Anybody want to admit it? Yeah, that's the challenge. But 12 spies go to look at the promised land. They all know it's a land flowing of milk and honey. There are giants in the land. 10 of them say, we can't take it. Two of them come back and say, we can take it. God promised it to us, and the people said, we are not going in. You see, it's fearful, fearsome thing when we don't trust God to accomplish what he promises. And so that whole generation wanders for 40 years and dies in the wilderness because they won't step forward in faith as God has promised them to do. That's what happens as they come out of Exodus. So here we are today, and we we think about this whole idea, and we read the stories. And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses talks about what is about to happen and he says this in Deuteronomy 18:17. 17. He says, Then the Lord said to me, that's Moses, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I commanded him. And then listen to this verse, 19. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. That's why it's so important to hear the word of the Lord. That's why it's so important to listen to the story of Jesus. The Israelites now are having Passover, and they've waited so long to hear. There's another prophet coming. There's a prophet like Moses. He'll be like Moses. He'll come, and he'll give my word to people, and he will free my people, and he will address them, and he will free them. And when the prophet came, the people are continuing to ask, when is this prophet coming? So today I want you to see how Moses and Jesus are alike. I want to think about this idea of before they're anticipating Jesus coming and then what's real after. Since it's Christmas, you might think of their birth. You might think that, you know, Moses and Jesus are both born into a world where God's people are oppressed. In fact, Moses and Jesus were both born at a time when a king decrees that all the baby boys are to be killed. Pharaoh says that in Exodus 1.12. And Herod says that in Matthew 2.16. Suppose I said this week we're going to talk about someone who's a king, who a king tried to kill at his birth, that he was born in a crib that was made out of grass, who established a covenant between God and man, and who came to deliver the people after the people hadn't heard from God for 400 years. I, you may know that's Moses. You may have even known that might be Jesus. But that's how similar their stories are. The people have been waiting for a prophet who would be like Moses. And then we get to John in the New Testament, John chapter 1. And there we read the words where John is preaching. And Jesus has yet to begin his earthly ministry. John preaches with power and with authority, and people go out to him. They are repenting of their sin. They're being baptized. They see mighty works that God is doing. And what question do you think they ask John? John, are you him? Are you the prophet that is prophesied? Are you Elijah? Uh, we've been waiting for generations for this prophet like Moses to come. And are you him, John? Are you the one we read about in the Old Testament? Are you the prophet that was promised that would free us? John says, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. You got it all wrong. I mean, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. There's another one coming. And then later in John 1, we, hear, we see Philip Philip comes running back after he's met Jesus because Philip knows this is the guy. And he comes to Nathaniel and he says, "Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. But he adds something. We often miss this in this verse because we run through the, the story with Nathaniel's talking about Jesus. And he says this, we found him. We found the Messiah, the one that Moses told us about. You see, only God could bring these disparate, experiences together and show that this is messiah so nathaniel is beside himself with this message god is doing what he promised we've been waiting for him and now he's come if you turn into luke chapter 4 and you can write these things down in your program where jesus begins his ministry this is the first recorded sermon that jesus gives it's in Luke chapter 4. He's in the synagogue, and as he comes into the synagogue, the, the leader of the synagogue hands him a scroll and says, you read today. That would happen to the guys in the synagogue. Uh, I know that it would clear out most of our churches if I stood at the back door and said, hey, you're reading today, right? You'd be going, wait a minute. I didn't prepare to do that. Uh, that's how it happened in those first times. Jesus is handed this scroll, and he looks down at the scroll, and he sees that it, it's a book that he's very familiar with. He's in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah wrote over 700 years before Jesus is born. But he talks about the things that would happen in Jesus' life. You can almost see a smile come on Jesus' face as he looks at the crowd and looks down at the text again and looks back at them. See, Isaiah foretold the virgin birth. Isaiah foretold John the Baptist and the miracles of Jesus. And he foretold that Jesus would be beaten and spit upon when he died, Jesus knows what he's going to read. In fact, he's probably memorized it because he went to Hebrew school. And, and, and he's ready to read this. He's going to read it from the text. And here's what he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. It's on the screen. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This isn't the first time this passage has been read in the synagogue. Every time the religious leader who would read that passage would read, though, that he would stop and define who the me is in the passage. The me is Messiah, the long-awaited prophet we've been waiting for. But in this case, Jesus does something different. In Luke chapter 4, verse 20, we read, He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the people began to look at each other. what's happening? Isn't he going to tell us about Messiah? I mean, why is he being quiet? It's got to be a little bit awkward here at this point in time because they're, they're kind of wondering, is that the end of the message? Are we free to go? Are we getting out early today? And they wonder, what, what does Jesus mean by this? I mean, surely he has something to say. And if he doesn't say anything at this point in time, it, does he actually think this passage means him? In fact, the text goes on and says this, All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Because they know something's up. He's either done this wrong. He's either lost his place. Or maybe he's going to say something incredibly profound. There's this awkward silence. And then he begins to speak with them. And he says one sentence that they have waited their whole lives to hear. And it's this. Today, the scripture is true in your midst. He says, in essence, the scripture that you've just heard, the one I just read, it's happening now, like right now, like it's me. It's being fulfilled this very day. And the people look at each other in awe, and and then they look back at Jesus and say, wait a minute, isn't he the carpenter's son? How could he be the Messiah? This is not what we thought it would be. And here's what you have. Jesus like Moses. Moses came to set the people free from their physical bondage in Egypt. Jesus came to set people free from spiritual bondage of slaves to sin. And let's put it this way. Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, Let my people go and leads them out into the promised land. And Jesus stands before sin and death. And he says, Let my people go. And he takes us and frees us from this bondage of sin. Romans eight two paraphrased in the message. I love what it says very simply here on the screen. It says, Freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny, at the hands of sin and death. See, part of our challenge in the before and after aspect of Jesus is that we read those words that he's freed us from sin, but we really don't get it. We live in a country that's relatively free, and so we don't understand this aspect of oppression. We're not really sure that sin is all that bad, in fact. We kind of say things like, you know, I'm just kind of struggling with something. You know, I'm having a little difficulty here. You know, it's been a battle, but I'm going to keep going. I, you know, I'm dealing with some stuff right now, or I can't keep, seem to shake this. It's because we don't recognize the fact that we are and were slaves to sin, that we don't fully appreciate what Jesus came to set us free from. I wanted to illustrate this somewhat from some parts of our old history. These are a set of slave chains from the 17th century. They're handmade. If you looked at them, you could see that they're forged from iron. You can see how they're bent and brought together. Probably from the early part of the 1700s. And for those of us who never had a family member in something like this or never experienced it, they're they're just an artifact. No big deal. For someone who was bound with this, these are terrible instruments. And what I want you to do for just a minute is to picture these chains on you, these chains of sin, that you are bound with them. You can't get loose. And then the scripture says that he came to set us free, and the chains are broken, and they're gone from us. But you know what happens to us? We don't really let him keep us free. We have a tendency to pick the chains back up and put them back on. And I don't know if you've had a chance to see the movie Harriet. I just saw a little bit of, her, of the trailer. And the, When Harriet Tubman is running away from slavery, she is running with all her might. And she's being chased by the people who want to put her back in the bonds. Can I tell you, Satan does that same thing to you. He's chasing you. And yet, yet the truth is, Jesus has set me free and I can say, get away, but I tend not to. Can, can I give you a, maybe four things or so that just remind you that maybe you're still in bondage to sin and, and, you're, and you're kind of playing this game with Jesus because Christmas is the time to open the package and realize that you're free. Uh, how do we recognize that we might still be bound by sin? Well, I think one of the first things that we do in our own lives is we keep doing it despite the negative consequences. You know, I go back to the chains even though I know they're going to destroy me. It's like when you recognize how much your pride is costing you and, 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 and you know it, but you still do it. You, you didn't realize how much the lies and deceit cost you in relationships, and then when you do, somehow you go back and order more. You don't realize the lust and greed initially and what kind of damage it's doing, but now you do, know and you keep stepping up to the bar and ordering more. Here's what happens with sin. It's taken everything from us, and yet we keep going back to it. Jesus came to set us free from the madness of sin, the cycle of sin. Jesus came to set us free. And he takes those chains and he breaks them Maybe, maybe the second way in which you recognize you're still in bondage is you don't feel like yourself when you try to stop. You see, what happens is the sin begins to define your identity. We say things like, oh, I want to do things different. I want to change, but, but it's just who I am. It's how I'm wired. Suddenly our sinful desires become who we are, our identity. And it's in that moment that you've made yourself a slave to your sinful desires. Jesus came to set us free, to give us a new identity. You see, our identity is in the fact that I am a beloved son of Jesus, of God. And Jesus is my brother, excuse me. I'm a beloved sister of Jesus, and God is my father. That's my identity. It's not my job. It's not my family. It's not even the sin that has had a hold of me. But in our culture, we tend to be defined by our behavior and Jesus said, that's not... I'm breaking that. I'm breaking that. Because we're identified by the sacrifice that Jesus made. Romans six seventeen. We just went through Romans where, where people were being defined either by privilege or power. And Paul said, neither one of those define you. It's being a son or daughter of God. Romans six seventeen says, thank God. Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. There's freedom in your obedience. A third way that you might recognize that you're still in bondage is you work hard to keep it a secret. You spend a lot of time making sure people don't find out about it. That's how sin wants to enslave you. Jesus breaks the bonds, and yet we want to keep it secret. Man, the worst thing that could happen is for somebody to find out about this, to find out about what I'm doing or what I've done. And the more I decide to keep that in darkness, the stronger the grip that sin has over my life. And the more a slave I become. And nobody really knows you. You don't really have any close relationships because you have to keep this hidden. Because nobody knows what you're dealing with or knows the struggles that you have. And sin has enslaved you. But Jesus came to release you. To offer forgiveness and grace so that that, what's in the darkness can be pulled out into the light of God's grace. You see, when it comes into the light, it no longer has power. When it comes into the light, the chains are broken and they drop away. That's the reality, folks. That's why we need each other, because we have to remind each other that those chains were never intended to be picked up again and to be put on. That's one of the reasons why we have Celebrate Recovery At White Oak, it meets at the Coleraine campus at 6 o'clock on Monday nights. Because you need people who look you in the eye and say, I know you're playing games. You're picking up the chains again. Get rid of them. Let's help walk with you in the midst of that. Some of you know this full well, and that's what's so strong, what held you in bondage so strongly in the dark that once it's in the light, the chains lose power over us. There's a fourth way that we might know that we're in bondage, and it's this. You turn to it to deal with it. You turn to it to deal with it. You might want to take a picture of that screen too, just to keep it with you. So that whenever something comes your way, you can turn to this and go, Satan, you're not using this excuse on me anymore. I'm not going there. What I mean by you turn to it to deal with it it is this way. You see that sin has caused a lot of difficulty in your life, and then you turn to sin to deal with the difficulties in your life. You're used to what it feels like when you're in the midst of that sin and when God begins to free you, that's new place and you're a little afraid to be over there. And so you go back to the sin. That's part of what happens in addiction. That's slavery. It's easy to recognize that oftentimes in those traditional addictions, alcohol and drugs, alcohol may have cost a person their marriage, their job, their sense of self-worth. And yet, how do they deal with the devastation in their life? They drink more they drug more that's how they deal with it bondage somebody has a spending problem and and shopping and spending has threatened their family and threatened their future so where does that person go to deal with that kind of of overwhelming stress that's in their life because of their spending they go shopping Or a guy has a a porn addiction, a porn habit. It's created a rift in his marriage. And there's a wall that separates him and his wife. And he thinks it's her fault. (laughs) And he's feeling rejected and frustrated. And so what does he do? He goes right back to that porn site. Instead of admitting it and opening it up to the light. So that God can begin to heal that. I mean, that's the definition of bondage. No escape. Jesus came to free us and we can go to him and we can find help and we can find grace in our time of need you see it's not just this pretty little manger scene that we have here there's babies here and Mary and Joseph on each side and making goo goo eyes at each other this is the king of the universe who's going to change everything in your life and my life that's the after and he gives us the Holy Spirit the power that we need to say no to those kinds of things Sin makes us a slave by just leaving us discouraged and hopeless. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. You're discouraged because even as I've talked about it, you recognize these four things are true in your life. I mean, you know that you've paid a high price, not just for you, but for family and friends around you. They've paid the price too. you told yourself many times, tomorrow will be different, but it never really is. And this is what sin does. It beats us up. And then finally we feel like, I can't get up. I just can't get up again. I've asked our staff and many other people to memorize our vision statement. We talk about being a a diverse, generationally rich, multi-site church where thousands of people form friendships, feel hope, find God, and follow His path. I had a number of people who were writing the vision statement say, why doesn't it say, first of all, that proclaims Jesus? And I said, the reason for that is most people don't trust just the message that Jesus loves them. They need to see somebody in flesh and blood who will love them and care for them. And that's why we say form friendships first. That's why I want you to take a sign. People start a conversation. You build a friendship with them. It may be a year or two years before you get a chance to talk about Jesus. Because they're so broken and so discouraged with life that they can't hear the grace of God. That's why we say form friendships and then they begin to feel hope because you care for them. Nobody's ever cared for them before. Somebody always had an ulterior motive to be in relationship with them. You know, something they could do for them. It's something they could get from them. But it was never about them. That's what true friends are about. It's what can I be in your life? We form friendships and they feel hope and then they find God. And sometimes that's years down the road before that begins to happen. Because these chains are strong. And when you've lived with them for so long, you don't believe that they can ever be broken. In Exodus 6, Moses is talking to the Israelites before they are freed from Egypt. And he wants to encourage them because Pharaoh has increased their workload. It's harder and harder. As, as uh, Moses comes back and says, God's going to free you, Pharaoh keeps hammering them with more and more work and harder and harder situations. God comes to Moses and he says in Exodus chapter 6, he says, I am the Lord. And then he has this message for the people. He says, I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. When you get down to verse 9, though, Moses is speaking to them. He says, so Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord said, that, that he's going to free them. And here's why the people responded. They refused to listen anymore. They'd become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Another version says, they didn't even hear him because their spirits were beaten down by their harsh slave conditions. (laughs) This Christmas time, I know that some of you are struggling. I know how hard it is for some of us at Christmas time. I told the staff on Tuesday in my devotion time, I'm really not a fan of December. I'm a big fan of Jesus. My mom died on December the 9th. My daughter and her husband's first baby was stillborn on this day seven years ago. My dad died on December the 26th. December is not a month that I go, boy, this is going to be great. But it is a month when I go, Jesus is great. Jesus is great. He breaks those bonds. He takes away that hopelessness. He brings in this peace passes all understanding because he came into this world. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. But some of you are still in bondage and sin is still beating you up. It's taken everything from you. And the people around you have given up on you. And you've given up on yourself. You've got nothing left. So you see this celebration take place, but it just doesn't feel like it's for you. You've been beaten down by the harsh conditions of slavery. Sin made you a slave But Jesus came to set you free. That's one of the reasons why at the end of this service, we have people on each side of the platform up here who are wanting to pray for you, who want to help you through this struggle. Some of you are still in denial, and you're going, man, I'm not sharing this with anybody. Please do. I'm going to be at at the hub. If you need to talk, I'd be glad to do that. We can set up an appointment later. Nathan will be available throughout the week. Darren, doesn't Darren look like an elf? I mean, it's it's just amazing. Just a me, Yeah. <laughs> the first service, I walked out and forgot to, that the door slams whenever I walk off the stage. Darren about had a heart attack. Yelled, yelled at me for half an hour. Hold the door, Rick. It's real simple. You can do it. You're so helpful. Thank you, man. You're welcome. <laughs> Jesus came to free the oppressed, to release the captives. He really did. And I don't know where you're captive today. You may have freedom in all, a whole bunch of areas in your life, but there's something that's kind of nagging at you. Give that up during communion time. Bring it to the foot of the cross. Today, don't just think about your sin, though. Think about the fact that this is a celebration of the baby laying in the manger. If you feel beat up and held down by sin, this Christmas season, my prayer is that your life would become a before and after story. The way things were before Jesus, but now the way things are after Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about how to follow Jesus, I'd be glad to talk with you about that. Would you pray with me? Lord, because of Christmas, we don't have to be the same person after this service that we were when we walked in. We don't have to be bound by the before because the after is real. Father, I thank you that we can be in your, your relationship, that you love us, that you care for us, that you want to give us life and give it to us abundantly. So this Christmas season, as we celebrate the before and the after, the promise of your coming, the reality of your coming, and the change that your coming brings into each of our lives, may it be real may it be strong, for it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.